Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the morning service of Sunday the 8th of March 2012, entitled Remember and Rejoice, and the Bible reading is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 to 11. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. What I want to try to share with you this morning, by God's grace and by God's help, not some new insightful thing that you've never heard before. But I want us really, as we think of this morning, our simple thought is the resurrection. Remember and rejoice. Remember and rejoice. There's so much that we have to rejoice over. As we look at these things this morning, I'd like to begin by reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. We'll take for our reading just down through verse 11 to start with, and then we'll come back and we'll pick up through some more portions of this chapter as we, as we go through. I invite you to stand with us if you'd like to honor the reading of God's holy word beginning in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 1, which says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I have preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve, that he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. Last of all, he was seen of me also, as of one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, that am not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it were I or they, so we preach, and so ye believed. Father, we thank you again today for this wonderful day that you've given us for health and for strength. Lord, we thank you for our church. We thank you for each and every one, Lord, that you have sent this way and that you continue to send this way. Father, as we gather on this special Resurrection Sunday, Lord, I pray that as we look into your Word, I pray that here this morning, Lord, you would simply help us to remember and to rejoice. Father, as we remind ourselves of just what Resurrection Sunday is really all about, Lord, we pray that you would take and by your power, through your Spirit, that you would speak that which needs to be spoken for your glory and yours alone. And, Father, you know the need of each and every heart here this morning. You know if there be one in our midst that's lost, that's never been saved, I pray that by your Spirit you would speak to that heart, you would convict them of their sin, you would draw them to yourself. Lord, if there is a believer, a Christian amongst us that is backslidden, that is walking afar off, that is, has drifted in their faith, and I pray that, Lord, you would wrap your arms around them that by your Spirit you would draw them back. Lord, every Christian, 
every believer with all of our imperfections. Lord, you know every need. You know every heart. You know precisely what each one needs. And Lord, that is something that we cannot meet in the flesh, but that we depend upon you alone. And for that, we pray that you would do for us this day. And we truly will give you all the praise, all the honor, and all the glory for it. In Christ's name, I pray. Amen and amen. A name that may or may not mean anything to many of you here this morning, Dr. Gary Habermas. He is considered by many to be probably the most, if not certainly one of the foremost experts on the subject of the resurrection that is living today. He has dedicated his entire life, and he's about five years older than I am, if you can figure that out. He's dedicated almost his entire professional life to this primary subject of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. He has studied it historically, philosophically, and theologically. He's written many, many books on the subject. In one of his books that he wrote along with another man by the name of J.P. Moreland, the title of the book was Immortality. I'd like to read you a small quote that is in that book. Listen carefully. He says, well over 300 verses are concerned with the subject of Jesus' resurrection in the New Testament. We are told that this event is a sign for unbelievers. Now, he gives all the passages, which I'm going to skip over. I've got them all here. If you want them afterwards, I'll be happy to give them to you. As well as the answer for the believer's doubt. It serves as the guarantee that Jesus' teachings are true and is the center of the gospel itself. Further, the resurrection is the impetus for evangelism, the key indication of the believer's daily power to live the Christian life and the reason for the total commitment of our lives. The resurrection even addresses the fear of death and is related to the second coming of Jesus. Lastly, this event is a model of the Christian's resurrection from the dead and provides a foretaste of heaven for every believer. I read that and I said, wow, that's powerful words. And amazingly, I read that after having put all of these thoughts together. And I thought, well, you know, it's no wonder that when you start thinking on a subject like the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you begin to find that the ocean is just too big. There's just too much to consider. I made the statement over at the sunrise service this morning that I can say without hesitation that I believe that the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ could be classed as the most important event in history. That's not to take away from the crucifixion. The simple truth is you cannot divide the two. But without the resurrection, had they not found that empty tomb, 
when they came on that third day, then it would have been just another crucifixion by the Romans. It would have been just another man dying upon that cross. It is because of the resurrection that we know that what took place on Calvary was sufficient for our sins. There's a number of things that, as we look today, that have stood out to me as I want to encourage you to remember and to rejoice in these things. Remember. You see, we're remembering an event. As I've already said, the greatest event in history Yet more importantly, we're remembering the person of that event. There are so many things that we could and that we should remember about this person called Jesus Christ. To us as Christians, every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. That's why we meet on Sundays. That's why we worship on Sundays, because it was that first day of the week when they went and they found that empty tomb. It would be an utter and complete impossibility to mention everything that could be mentioned about that person, this event here today. But if we take a glance at just a few of those things, I want to just simply direct your attention to one word specifically in what we read there earlier about Christ and his resurrection. It's a word that so many times it frightens people. I mean, I've seen it just literally scare people to death. Matter of fact, I've seen it scare people right out of the church. It's a word called commitment. Commitment. But you see, what I want you to remember this morning, I'm not asking you to remember your commitment. I'm asking you to remember his commitment to you. Just what the Lord Jesus Christ did for you, what he committed himself to in coming to this world, in dying on that cross, in rising the third day. You see, I want you to remember, first of all, Christ's commitment to the cause the cause above all causes. I'm talking about the cause of the gospel. As a matter of fact, that was his whole reason for coming. The resurrection. Yes, truly the greatest of historical events. Truly giving to us, as we've already said, proof that Calvary was sufficient. You cannot separate them. Our only hope for redemption of our sins is that Christ paid for them, that he paid for them with his blood, and that his blood was sufficient. Our only hope, our only hope for a resurrected life is that Jesus Christ himself was resurrected had he not risen from the dead? Had death held him in that grave? Had that tomb not been found empty? Then I say to you clearly and simply, 
there would be no hope for us. But because of that, we know he truly was the Son of God. He truly was God incarnate in the flesh. You see, in our verses that we've just read here in verses 1 through 11, these verses declare to us very, very clearly. He said, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. You see, that is the gospel. May I say, plus and minus nothing. And it is the gospel that must be preached. It is the gospel that must be proclaimed. It is the gospel that you and I must spend our lives giving and sharing with others. Salvation was the only reason do we recognize and realize that was the reason for everything about our faith. It was the reason that Jesus Christ came to this earth. Luke chapter 19 and verse 10 tells us that he came to seek and to save that which was lost. He didn't come on a holiday. He didn't come to give us a, a good example of how we ought to live. He didn't come just to per perform a bunch of miracles. He came to seek and to save the lost. He came for the gospel. The gospel is the only means of salvation. So I want you to remember. I want you to remember his commitment to the cause, to the cause of the gospel. And I want you to remember his commitment to the Christian, to you. You see, just as that great event that we call Easter, that we call Resurrection Sunday, that we celebrate that empty tomb, just as that in itself was about a person, the Lord Jesus Christ, and even though it was the greatest event in history, and even though the one that died on the cross and that rose again the third day, that they found that empty tomb that we celebrate today, even though he did everything that was necessary, that in itself is not sufficient for the saving of the soul. Preacher, you just got through saying it was the gospel plus nothing Minus nothing. But folks, the simple truth is the gospel has to become personal. You see, Jesus Christ was committed to come to this earth, to live the life we couldn't live, to die the death that we should have died, to conquer and overcome it and to, to rise again the third day. He was willing to do it all, but we must realize that he did it for you. He did it for the individual. Just as Resurrection Sunday is about a person and that person is Jesus Christ, everything that he did, he did for the individual that they, as a person, as an individual, might be saved. You see, he did it.
but it's you that we just read there that must receive it. It's you alone that must believe it. All of these verses, did you notice when we were reading through that, that the Apostle Paul, all of those personal pronouns that he was using, you and ye and you and ye, he was talking personally to the people in the church at Corinth. He wasn't talking just in, in general terms about this, this great event. And folks, the Word of God is speaking personally to you today. This is God's Word. This is God speaking to you. We find that if we pick back up with our reading here in the next verse, in verse 12, notice what he says. He says, now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith, your faith is also vain. It's worthless. It's empty. Yay. And we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he raised not up if so be that the dead rise not for if the dead rise not then is not Christ raised and if Christ be not raised your faith is vain ye are yet in your sins if there was no resurrection, if Jesus Christ hadn't rose that third day, he says, you're still in your sins. Why? Because he didn't overcome it. His sacrifice wasn't sufficient. Then they also, which are fallen asleep in Christ, all those that have gone before us that have believed, that have put their faith in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, they perish. There's no hope. He says, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most Miserable, pitiable. We're a pitiful group of people if what we have right now in this life is all we have. You see, in these verses, folks, he's saying that if Christ didn't, he said some people are saying he didn't raise. Well, if he didn't, everything else is worthless. It's all vain. You are still in your sins. He's speaking personally. His commitment is to you that you can be a Christian. You see, again, everything that Christ does, it's about people. Here we find it's about people that are lost in their sins, being forgiven, becoming a Christian, being identified with Christ, being one with Christ. On this Resurrection Sunday, if you're a Christian, this is nothing new. And if you're not a Christian today, I promise you, as sure as I am standing here, you might could go somewhere else and you might could find somebody that could say it better, that could preach it better, that may be able to deliver it better, but I can promise you this, as sure as I'm standing before you today, there is no greater message that you need to hear, that you need to receive, that you need to believe than the message of Resurrection Sunday, that Jesus did it for you. 
And Christians, I'm asking you to remember, to be reminded this day, not of the Easter bunny and the chocolate eggs. I mean, if you want to give me a chocolate egg, I'll force myself to eat it. But I want to remind you this Resurrection Sunday of what it's really all about. Something far, far better. I'll tell you what, I was thinking about this earlier. I'll take the sunrise service and that full breakfast upstairs every Easter, more than a dozen chocolate eggs or however many you want to give me any day. <laughs> it's Resurrection Sunday. There is not a greater event that we could celebrate on the face of this earth I'm asking you just to remember today. I'm asking you to remember the commitment of Jesus Christ. Yes, for the cause of the gospel for all, but more specifically, his commitment in what he did for you individually, that you could partake of the gospel, that you could become a Christian, that you could be called a child of God. As on this Resurrection Sunday, as a local body here at Bethel today, shortly we'll be receiving of the bread and the cup. We'll be taking communion together. And I think that it only appropriate is we remember him on this Resurrection Sunday. And as we remember him around the Lord's table, I want to break that commitment down into two things his commitment in his body. Now, if you're taking notes, here's one of those places you're going to have to write fast. Oh, I wish I had time to preach all of these. I'm going to give you the verses. If you miss any, ask me. You can take them from my notes later. But you see his commitment in the body. In his body, he became flesh. God became flesh. The Gospel of John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. What does it say down in verse 14? And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. There are many other passages, but that was a commitment. Think about this. God, the power of the universe, the creator of everything, he that holds all that is together, he, became flesh for you. He came to this earth in a body. That was his commitment to you as an individual. And when he came in that body, it was in his body that he beat sins, temptations. You can turn to Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. We won't turn there, but you'd find there that he was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. Why was that necessary? Folks, he came to fulfill the perfect law of God. He came to live a life. You see, if we could have lived that life ourselves, if we could have come up to God's standard, remember how many times we've looked at that simple passage and the ramifications that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God doesn't matter what else that we weigh ourselves up against and whatever else that we compare ourselves to. When we're comparing it to the glory of God, 
when that's the bullseye, when that's what we're aiming for, we all miss the mark. We come short. You see, Jesus Christ, his commitment to you meant that in his body, he came in flesh. And when he did, he beat sin's temptations. He lived the holy and acceptable life. He lived the life that you couldn't live, that sinless life, the only life that would be acceptable to be a sufficient sacrifice for sin in his body. He bore your sins. Isaiah 53, 12. 1 Peter 2, 2, chapter 21 to 25. I don't even think we can even begin to understand what it meant. For Jesus Christ, the perfect and holy one, to take and bear, yes, he bore the sins of the world, What I want you to remember this morning, this Resurrection Sunday, Jesus came and he was so committed that he came to this earth in the flesh so he could live the life that needed to be lived that you couldn't live for yourself, to be able to be the sacrifice that he could bear your sins, every sin, every one that you've ever committed. He came and in his body, he bore them. Matter of fact, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, he not only bore your sins, he became sin for you. That was his commitment. You can't even begin to understand what that means for the Holy One. We find that in just a bit we'll be looking over into 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We find that even as we take of the bread and of the cup, that there he reminds us in verse 24, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. Oh, folks, he was broken for you. The commitment of Jesus Christ to you means that all the pain, all the mockery, all the degradation and humiliation that he took, everything that led up to and culminated in his crucifixion on that cross, he was committed to do it all for you, for you as an individual, and so much more. But today, This Resurrection Sunday, will you remember that commitment of Christ, of him coming to this world in a body and being so totally committed to the cause, the greatest cause, the only cause that brought him here, the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ to the Christian, to you as an individual. To you as a Christian today, or to you that you might become a Christian today, committed in his body, but committed with his blood. You see, with 
his blood. He restores life through remission. The Bible teaches us, you know, blood is, if you look up a simple definition, it says that it's the circulatory life fluid of the body. In other words, you've got to have it to live. If it's not running through your body, you're not going to live. In the Old Testament is put simple in Leviticus 17, verse 11, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. You can't take away the blood and still keep going. Matter of fact, as you get less and less of it, you get weaker and weaker and weaker. The life of the flesh is in the blood. But you see, unfortunately, when sin entered in, there in the Garden of Eden, that life was forfeited by sin. The wages of sin is death. Man's blood was literally contaminated by sin. And as a result of that contamination by sin, it brought death. According to the Word of God, there's only one payment that is sufficient to deal with that sin. Hebrews 9.22 says, Without shedding of blood is no remission. What's remission? Well, it's the same word that's translated some other places in your Bible as forgiveness. It literally means a dismissal, a release a sending away, it is forgiveness of your sin, the sending away of your sin, the dismissal of your sin, a releasing from your sin. In other words, it's that remission that will separate the sin from the sinner. With his blood, remember his commitment not only what he came and did on his body, but what he came and did with his blood by restoring life to you because that sin had contaminated you and brought death, but through his blood and his blood alone could that life be restored with his blood. He not only restores life through remission, but he reconciles through the atonement. In the same verse, for the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar, listen, to make an atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. See, not only did we forfeit life because of sin that then requires remission of that sin in order to once again, restore that life. But that same sin separated us from fellowship with God. It alienated us from God. In fact, the Bible says it made us his enemy. Now, most people, even if they're not Christians, you go around, there are a few that would gladly, boldly stand up and say, yes, I'm an enemy of God. Well, most of them wouldn't. Most of them would consider themselves good people, moral people. Simple truth is, though, is that when we've been alienated by sin, the Bible says 
it makes us his enemy. We need to be reconciled. Atonement, we need to be made at one with him. It appears so many times in Scripture. It means to cover, to conceal, to exchange, to reconciliate. You see, simply, folks, we can come up with all kinds of theological ideas, but the atonement in simple terms is the covering over of sin, the reconciliation between God and man that's accomplished through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ alone. That special result of Christ's sacrificial sufferings, his death, by virtue of all those individually who will exercise proper, heartfelt penitence and faith, they can receive forgiveness of their sins, the remission and they can obtain peace and be reconciled to God. So the sin can be put away, and we can once again be made at one with God, with his blood. He restores life through remission. He reconciles through the atonement, and he ratifies the new covenant, <laughs> the New Testament in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty five, after the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. This cup, symbolic of his blood, is the New Testament in my blood. Now, the new covenant didn't begin in the New Testament. Matter of fact, it's existed right from the beginning. The Bible tells us that God planned all this before even the foundation of the world. We see right back in the garden in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, where he makes the first promise for our recovery from that fall in the Garden of Eden. We find that, you turn with me to the book of Hebrews chapter 9. In Hebrews chapter 9, let's Begin reading in verse 11. He says, But Christ, being come and high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us with the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean, sanctify through the purifying of the flesh. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, how shall that purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgression that were 
under the first testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is a force after men are dead. Otherwise, it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. Whereupon neither the first testament was dedicated without blood. For when Moses was spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and of goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the testament which God hath enjoined unto you. Moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry, and almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission." It was therefore necessary that the pattern of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor yet that he should offer himself often. As the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with blood of others. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now, once in the end of the world, hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And it is appointed unto men once to die. But after this, the judgment, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. The new covenant, thank God, it is a covenant of grace. Grace is what is God in himself alone is, is free to do and what he does only according, only because of for the lost after Christ has died on their behalf. Only because of that blood, this New Testament of grace has been ratified to you and I. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, lest any man should boast. Folks, mercy, the compassion of God that moved him to provide a Savior if God could have saved us in any other way, then there would have been no need for the death of Christ. But without God's mercy, rest assured, he would have never sent his son to go through all he did for you. Grace, mercy, love. Can we begin to comprehend? Can I remind you this morning of the commitment of Jesus Christ and his love for you. You see, that is the very motivating plan behind everything that God does in saving a soul. It's not his will that any should perish. God is holy and God is righteous. Sin is a total and complete offense to him. His love or mercy is impossible for it to operate in grace. 
without sufficient satisfaction being made for sin. It's the satisfaction for sin that makes it possible for God's grace. Christ is the only satisfaction for sin. It rules out all human merit. But that was his commitment to you. Faith is our only route to God's grace. There's no other way of getting there. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and his finished work. You see, grace not only provides for our salvation, but for our preservation despite all of our imperfections. <laughs> Anybody this morning got any imperfections? Aren't you glad God's grace is sufficient? Aren't you glad that God loved you enough that he made the way through Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ, his commitment to you was such that he came to this earth for the sole purpose of living the life that you couldn't live, that he might be able to be the sacrifice and die on that cross in your place and be able to conquer that death and come out of that tomb victorious. That's why he came. That's what he did for you. Grace perfects forever. Those who are saved in God's sight because they are in Christ. It was the blood sacrifice of Jesus that ratified the New Testament, God's new covenant of grace with you today. Folks, remember, Christ was committed to the cause of the gospel and to you as an individual that you might become a Christian and that you might remain a Christian for all of eternity. He was fully committed in everything that he did, both in his body and with his blood. Can we stop and imagine that if he had faltered in his commitment, even one time for a split second in any way, shape, or form, the resurrection would never have happened because he wouldn't have been sufficient. He wouldn't have been victorious over death. But he never faltered. Had he, we surely would have been a miserable people, most pitiable. But today, we're here to declare he is risen. Hallelujah. We can rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again, I say rejoice. You see, I believe this. If you'll truly remember Christ and what he has done for you as a Christian, you will be able to rejoice always. Our scripture goes on in verses 20 through the end of the chapter, and you can read it for yourself because the clock is fighting me this morning. But we find in this chapter, we find much cause for rejoicing. In this chapter alone, not looking anywhere else in the Bible, right here, 
in the verses before you. You see, remember and rejoice today. Why? For Christ's resurrection, he is risen. We also find in these verses that he is coming again, Brother Steve. We can rejoice in Christ's resurrection. We can rejoice in Christ's return. He's coming again for you and I. We can rejoice in Christ's reign. As we read through these verses, you see, right now, as a reality in the heart and life of every Christian, he reigns now. There's going to be a realization for all at his return when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He tells us in his passage before you, when you read it, every enemy will be put under. Everyone. Rejoice today for Christ's resurrection, for his return, for his reign. Rejoice today for the Christian's redemption. We are redeemed by God's grace because of Christ and the gospel Rejoice today for the Christian's resurrection. He tells us in these verses that Christ was the first fruits, but afterwards they that are his, those that belong to him, those that have received and believed the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, they will be resurrected too at his coming again. Rejoice today for the Christian's redemption, for the Christian's resurrection for the Christian's regeneration, you find towards the latter verses, when he talks about the corruptible putting on incorruptible, the mortal putting on immortality, the victory is ours. That last enemy, death, conquered because he conquered it. I'm saying today, folks, this Resurrection Sunday just remember, remember the commitment of Jesus Christ whom we're celebrating. He is the person of the resurrection. But what he did in everything that led up and in that final resurrection moment, all that he did, he did it for you in his body and with his blood. He was committed. Remember. I would ask you this question this morning. Well, if Jesus Christ was that committed to you, that everything he did, he did for you, what about your commitment to him? You know, first of all, have you committed your life to him? Do you know with certainty that you are a child of God, that your sins have been covered, that you've been forgiven? Jesus did it for you, but you must receive it. You must believe it. You see, you cannot afford for your commitment in this manner to falter or waver. Had Jesus' commitment faltered or wavered in this manner, then no one would be saved. But if yours falters and wavers, you will never be saved. You see, if you haven't done so, the greatest thing you can do this Resurrection Sunday is to commit your life to Him, to seek that forgiveness that's been made possible because of his commitment to you, for you to have life. Verse 58 of our reading, the final verse in this chapter, 
He says to us again, speaking to the Christian here, he says, therefore, in light of all this, my beloved, my beloved brethren, Paul's talking to his fellow Christians, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Christian, it's Resurrection Sunday. If you remember these things that the Lord has done for you, you can't help but rejoice today. His commitment to you is total. What about your commitment to him? In light of his commitment level to you, how is yours in return to the cause, to his cause, to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the individuals, to the individuals around you that need God's grace, God's mercy, God's love? Those that are saved and those that are unsaved. You see, Jesus came and committed to the individual. And that's what Christ that lives within us is still here for the individual, for the others. It's always in the giving. How is your commitment level today? You see, I promise you, you'll truly remember. There's many more things, but if you'll truly remember just these simple truths today, and if you'll truly respond to the Lord's commitment to you, you will rejoice. You can't help but rejoice in celebration of Resurrection Sunday. I'm going to invite our deacons, if they will, to come down to the front and assist in the serving the bread and at the cup this morning. I would simply remind you this. You see, as we come around the table today, there is nothing in this bread or in this cup that can save you, that can accomplish anything because Jesus did that for you. You see, just as I've asked you to just to remember and to rejoice, I've tried to keep it as simple to just remind us as I possibly can today we can get theological on a lot of the matter of fact, a whole lot of that's just what I took out last night. I just want you to remember Christ, his commitment, what he did to you. And as we come to take of this bread and drink of this cup today, remember what he did for you, why he did it, how much he loved you. This won't help you, but Jesus Christ will. The Bible warns us, examine yourself. He warns us of the dangers of coming to this table unworthily. Well, guess what? There's not a one of us here today that is worthy in ourselves. Oh, but I've got to tell you, my Savior is worthy. He is worthy. You see, that's why today he says, Examine yourself because you're just, you're just making a mock if you take this bread and this cup and you just pretend that everything's just fine and hunky-dory as it ought to be, and in your heart you know that it's not. He said, judge yourself so that you won't be judged. He will. He'll chasten you if you're one of his. But the truth is, he'd rather just admit it. 
and do something about it. He wants that fellowship. You see, it's not the bread and the cup and what we sing and what we do that can give you real fellowship with the Lord today. It's not that that can give us real fellowship with one another today. It's our relationship with Him and being in Him. I'm going to ask everyone just to bow your heads, close your eyes for just a moment. Take just a moment of quiet prayer. Examine yourself. If you're here and you're unsaved this morning, don't worry about this bread and this cup. I'd like to encourage you to come and see us following the service and let us take God's word and show you how you can leave here knowing that you belong to him today. Christian, just examine us. He wants sweet, sweet fellowship with you today. If there's something there that's hindering that fellowship with him, with the body here today, then resolve it now. Know that sweet fellowship that can only come when we've taken care. Everything is taken care of in Christ, but are we willing? Are we willing to take it to him? Father, you know the hearts of each one here today. Lord, as we come at this time to take of this bread and this cup, I do pray, Lord. I pray that in each and every heart here this morning, if there be any that have never truly been born again, I pray that you would help them to have that realization. And I pray that they would not leave this place today, that they would not live another day in this life without knowing that with certainty. But as Christians today, yes, first of all and foremost, having known that we're certainly and truly without any shadow of a doubt saved and part of the family of God. Lord, committed, committed to you as you're committed to us. And Lord, as a local body, that we're committed one to another. Lord, for those that may be with us today that are not a part of this particular fellowship, or that they are at one with you, and, Lord, that they are at one with us as a body and of like precious faith. Lord, I pray. I pray that each and every one of our hearts could know the true joy of this Resurrection Sunday because of what Jesus has done for us, because of what he, we've allowed him to do through our lives, and, Lord, because of what we've done with him and for others. Of course, in Christ's name we pray. Thank you.